When I asked Beck to marry me, I asked my father-in-law for permission. It was a very simple affair. I was very nervous. The conversation was very short. He's a man of few words himself. Uh, it went something along the lines of, can I ask Beck to marry me? And he said, yes. <laughs> I read recently the sh a short biography of Adoniram Judd's father-in-law-to-be. This is what he wrote. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this? For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. I think it's, it's a bit different from my <laughs> request. Anyway, uh, her father said that she could make up her own mind. Adoniram was someone who knew the cost of declaring God's glory to the nations. And we got a bit of a glimpse of that in that letter. But what motivated someone like him to go to Burma, to go somewhere where he would end up losing his family to death and sickness, to go somewhere where he would end up imprisoned, to go somewhere where we would not say it is safe to share the gospel? What motivated him? What motivates us to share the gospel? It's a question worth asking because I think as we sit here, many of us do not have that same zeal and passion for sharing the gospel as Adam and Judson. Now last week we looked at Psalm 95 and we saw the need to encourage each other to come and sing to our great God, to worship him. Well, today as we look at Psalm 96, we see that same great God, but the focus is on declaring his greatness to the world. And as we look at Psalm 96, and it'd be great to have your Bibles open there, we're going to spend a bit of time in Psalm 96, we see some motivations for sharing the gospel. We see the motivation of God's great salvation, of God's call to worship, and God's faithful judgment. So let's, in verses 1 to 6, let's have a look at the first motivation, God's great salvation. In verse 1, we are to sing to the Lord a new song, the new song of God's salvation. Our God's people would have sung this song rejoicing in the way that he had delivered them from Egypt. But it's also a psalm that very much looks forward to what God will do to save his people. It looks forward to a time when all the nations will come and worship God. Ultimately, it looks to Jesus. And we see this in the book of Revelation, actually. In Revelation chapter 5, the elders and the living creatures are around the throne. They're singing to God and they're singing to Jesus. And we find out in chapter 5, verse 9, that they sang, Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And we get to sing that same new song 
the song of salvation, the song of how Jesus shed his blood on the cross to purchase for God people from every place, people like us. See, we've all sinned against God. We all need redemption. We need forgiveness because we've refused to acknowledge at times that Jesus is our king. And we're told in Romans chapter 3 that the wages of our sin is death. It is judgment. See, God tells us only a sacrifice of blood could cover our sin. And Jesus on the cross, he shed his blood for us. He paid the judgment. He conquered death so that we could be forgiven and know God. We can sing the new song. But it's not a song that we keep to ourselves. It's more like an earworm. Have you ever got a song stuck in your head and you just can't stop singing it? And then people tell you to be quiet because you can't stop singing it? I think that's the, that's the, the new song that we have in salvation. That's what it's meant to be like. It's a song that we just can't stop singing. We're to sing this new song to all the earth, it says in Psalm 96 verse 1. In verse 2, we sing to the Lord and praise his name and proclaim his salvation day after day. And just in, point, just in case we miss the point, in verse 3, we are to declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. This salvation is not something that we are to keep quiet about. It's not a secret treasure never to be dug up or news that's to be kept on the down low. It is for all nations, for Buddhists in India, for Muslims in Pakistan, for Hindus in Algeria, for apathetic atheistic Australians, for mums at the school pickup, for the blokes you work with or go fishing with, for the mob in the park across the road, for you and for me. This news is for everyone. It's the news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we see this confirmed in verses 4 to 6 where we see that God is the God of everyone. It says, Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Here in Psalm 96, it declares without reservation that our God is not just one God among many gods, Our God is the one true God, the one worthy of praise. He's greater than all local deities because in verse 4 we see that the gods of the nations are idols. See, idols are human creations, things that humans make that we pretend have power over our lives, that we bow down and worship. It's a man-made religion, idol worship. But in verse 4, the Lord made the heavens. No one created God, but he created us. And so he alone is worthy of praise. He alone, in verse 5, has splendor and majesty before him. He alone has strength and glory as his sanctuary. Our God is the God of the nations. And because our God is the only God, The creator God, it means that everyone from every nation, from every people and every tongue need to hear the message of salvation that Jesus offers us in Christ. Everyone needs to hear how he has shed his blood to purchase men for God. And we are called to declare it. We are called to sing it. 
Often when we think of sharing the good news of Jesus, sometimes maybe it comes with a pang of guilt, an awareness of how we're not declaring the good news of Jesus. And that's why Psalm 96 is great. Do you see the motivation for sharing the gospel here? The motivation is not guilt. The motivation is the fact that God is great, that he is the ruler, that he has done marvellous things in the Lord Jesus. It comes from a place of joy. It's something we want to sing about. The song is not like a a slow, dirgy song. It's, It's not a sing to the Lord a new song. You've got to really try to get it out. It's joyful. It's sing to the Lord a new song. See, when we understand the depths of our own sin before God and we understand the greatness of what Jesus has done for us by shedding his blood on the cross, that is going to bring us joy. That is going to bring us joy before God. And we will want to declare God's works to the world. We will want to share what we have. And so maybe if we, we don't have that joy in our salvation, we need to ask God, to convict us by his spirit through his word of our own sinfulness and of the greatness of what Christ has done for us on the cross so that we can have that joy. And we will want to declare God's works of salvation to the world. We will want to declare it to Kananara because we know what we've got. It's so great. It's like it should just flow out of us like water out of a spring flows. At Middle Springs last week, our kids were trying to stop the flow of water rushing down the waterfall. They were getting rocks, and the waterfall was just moving the rocks. I tried stopping it with my leg. I couldn't do it. The water just wanted to go. We couldn't stop it. Well, that's the the joy of salvation that we want to share with everyone. We want to sing with everyone. I think that's the image that we get here of Psalm 96. We want to just declare God's salvation to the nations. So that is the first motivation, God's great salvation. The second motivation is God's call to worship. Why are God's people to declare God's glory to all the nations? Well, God commands everyone everywhere to turn to him. We see that there in verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Uh, To ascribe is simply a way of saying we acknowledge that this person has this quality. So you might ascribe the quality of tough-mindedness to your boss. Or you could ascribe the quality of kindness to a friend. To ascribe to the Lord glory and strength is to recognize that God has these qualities. He has glory. Now, glory in Hebrew is actually it means heaviness. It means weighty. To ascribe glory to God is to say that God is a heavyweight. He is impressive. He is worth bowing down to. And in the Bible, we see God's glory shine ever so brightly as he reveals himself in Christ as Jesus dies on the cross, shedding his blood for us. And all of the families of the nations, in verse 8, are to ascribe to God the glory due his name. To recognize his power, his strength, his might, that he is our maker. 
everyone is to recognize God's glory in Christ, to hear the declaration of the good news of Jesus and turn to him. And we see that in verses 8 and 9. We see the response everyone should have to God. In verse 8 it says, Bring an offering and come into his courts. In the Old Testament, God's courts were in the temple, the place where he dwelled, and the the people were called to come to him with an offering and normally some form of animal sacrifice. In the New Testament, Jesus is our offering. He is the one who shed his blood for us. And Jesus replaces the temple. He is now the one that the nations are to come to. And so verse 9 calls all people to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, to tremble before him all the earth. It's a call to recognize that God is God and to live for him, to feel the weight of his glory and tremble before him. It's a call to recognize that actually we are not worthy of God but to praise God and sing the new song of salvation because God, through Jesus, makes us worthy. He makes us worthy to come and worship him. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, he's a Scottish theologian, he puts it like this. He says, "Uh, in heaven, the devil might accuse us before God. He might say, well, this person sinned on Monday and then again on Thursday and even then this morning. And then God would then ask Gabriel to look up on his database uh, his this person standing before him. And Gabriel would look it up and the status would come up for those who are trusting in Jesus that this person is worthy. This person has been covered by the blood of Jesus. This person does not have their sins counted against them. This person can come into the courts of the heavenly God and worship him. How good is that? Uh, There's a song by Sovereign Grace where they sing, let us come before our maker full of wonder, full of fear. And I think that echoes this psalm here in Psalm 96. All of the nations are to come and bow down before God. All of the nations need to hear this message. All of the nations need to respond to this message. And God has made a way for that to happen. We saw that in Romans chapter 10, which we had read out, didn't we? We saw that for people to believe, people need to bring the message of the good news to them. They need people of beautiful feet, people who are willing to declare the greatness of God's salvation. And so it means as we think about this, it means that we as God's people here this morning in Kananara actually need to be concerned about world mission. We ought to be concerned with how the gospel is going out. Praise God that we we do live in Kununurra and there are beautiful feet going out in Kununurra sharing the good news of Jesus. Uh, Maybe those beautiful feet are yours. Praise God for that. But there are places in the world where there is very little gospel proclamation. Uh, According to the Joshua Project, it's estimated that 7.93, of the 7.93 billion people alive in the world, 3.37 billion of them live in an unreached people group. That means they have little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's over 42% of the population. 
And the vast majority of those 3.3 billion people that don't have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ live in an area where only, of all the world's missionaries, only 10% of the missionaries go there. There is a great need for people to hear the gospel. There's a great many people who need to hear the gospel. And so God in Psalm 96 calls all people everywhere to tremble before him, to worship him. Now, so far we've seen two motivations for sharing the gospel. We've seen the motivation of God's great salvation and we've seen that God calls everyone everywhere to worship him. So the final motivation that we're going to look at today from Psalm 96 is God's faithful judgment. Uh, The psalm now flicks back to encourage God's people to once again speak. In verse 10 it says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. God who made the world will judge the world and all the people in it. But notice here is how it says he will judge with equity. That means that God is going to judge with fairness. Or as it says in verse 13, with righteousness and faithfulness. God's judgment on sin will be perfect. So when we stand before the heavenly throne, no one is going to be able to say to God, that's not fair. We won't be able to say, but that's unjust. Appeal lawyers in heaven will just be absolutely stunned at how equitable God's judgment will be. Our sin will be justly judged before the almighty God. Now, you might ask the question, well, what about the person who lives in the middle of one of these unreached people groups who have never heard of Jesus, who don't know any Christians, who don't have access to the Bible in their language? What about them? Well, we also need to know that they too, like us, have sinned against God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. But we're also told that if we seek God, he will be found. All people will be judged by God. And we have to trust that God will judge the world with equity, with righteousness, with faithfulness. And on that day that God judges, on the day that Jesus calls everyone to account, we will actually rejoice in God's judgments. We will rejoice for how right and just they are. We will sing the new song of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we will praise God for while we were not worthy and deserve God's judgment in Christ, we will be judged righteous. And in Psalm 96, all creation is rejoicing in God's judgment. Have a look at verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that's in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes. He comes to judge the earth. And if the inanimate things like the sea rejoice and the trees sing for joy, how much more should the people God has made? And I think as we talk about this, there is a bit of a myth that we need to bust. 
And the myth is that God only cares about our sincerity. Uh, Maybe you're familiar with the Narnia book series uh, by C.S. Lewis. They are a favourite in our house. Uh, And at the end of the series, in the last book, in the last battle, uh, when they're entering into Aslan's promised heavenly land, there is an interaction between Prince Emeth and Aslan. Now, Prince Emeth, he worshipped the god Tash, and he hated Aslan. But upon entering, Aslan greets Emeth and says, Son, thou art welcome. Child, all the service thou hast done to Tash, I account as service done to me. See, it's the idea here that what matters is our sincerity in our worship, but not who we are worshipping. But that is a myth. And to give you an example, to show you why it's a myth, in Leviticus chapter 10, Abihu and Nadab, they sincerely wanted to worship the one true God. But the way they did it was they did it by offering unauthorized fire before the Lord. And the result was they were judged. They were burnt up by God's fire of judgment. And if they didn't escape with all the sincerity in the world, no one will escape God's judgment. God is our creator. God is our maker. He will not give his glory to another. And so we need to know that God will judge with faithfulness. The world needs to know that God will judge with faithfulness. So we need to declare the gospel. The other week, it was actually just last week, our chicken discovered a hole in our fence. Uh, through the hole it went, into the church playground, into the church car park, back around the, the back of our house, and I saw it. I walked outside and went, oh, there's our chicken. It was living its best life, free from all the constraints of the chicken pen, doing whatever it wanted. Except that if we hadn't spotted it, our chicken probably would have died. It couldn't access the water and food that it needed. It wasn't protected from those animals in nature that just love eating chickens. And it doesn't know the road rules. It didn't know it, but our chicken needed saving. And that is the state of people in our world. People live not knowing the danger they are in from the judgment of God's, the judgment of God, his faithful judgment. God has appointed a day of judgment and most people don't know about it. Most people live ignorant of it. And so we need to share the good news. We need to declare to the nations that Jesus has shed his blood for them. So how do we apply these three motivations? God's greatness in salvation. God's call to worship and God's faithful judgment. Well, we need to get involved in declaring the gospel. We need to be beautiful feet. Here in Kananara, we need to be beautiful feet and commit to sharing to the gospel. And I think one of the applications, particularly from Psalm 96, is that this was a song that they were to sing together. They were to declare to the nations God's salvation together. 
And that's as a church. We are actually involved with each other as we share the gospel. And so you can join our efforts as a church to share the gospel. And the Mega Kids Day that uh, we talked about last week is coming up, uh, hopefully in April, if we get enough leaders. It's a great way of sharing the gospel as a church with a team of people. I encourage you to think about taking the day off work so you can come along and share the gospel. Commit to coming and making God's salvation known. But beyond that, maybe you want to commit to praying for two or three people that you know in Kananara that need to hear the gospel. And pray for them daily. Pray that they would know God's greatness. Pray that they would know Christ. Pray for boldness to share the gospel with them. Maybe if you're part of a Bible study, and I encourage everyone to be part of a Bible study, if you're part of a Bible study, think about how as a group you can get involved in sharing the gospel. Think about how you can get involved in supporting global mission. Think about who you can invite to church. We're going to be looking at the life of end, the end part of Jesus' life over the next few weeks at church. What a great opportunity to invite someone to come along and hear about Jesus. But we also need to think bigger than Kananara, don't we? The gospel is for all peoples and all nations. We actually need to be people who invest in God's global mission. How do we do that? Well, we can start by praying for global missionaries. You know, pray for Jason and Hannah Fairclough who are serving with CMS in Italy. Our Friday night in our house is pizza and movie night and because pizza is Italian, we pray for the Fairclothes. Sign up to their newsletter. Get their latest prayer points. But not only just pray for them, you partner with them. Take on their ministry as your ministry. Be concerned about what they're doing. And I just use the, the fair clothes as an example because that's who we as a church support as linked missionaries. But there are plenty of missionaries that you might like to support. We can get involved also in global missions, and not only by praying, but also by giving. Our missionaries need financial support. As a church, we give towards Jason and Hannah Fairclough, uh, plus a few other organisations. But you can give as a family unit or individually as well. Look for opportunities to sacrificially invest in the kingdom overseas. Uh, one opportunity for your consideration, you could sponsor a Bible college student overseas uh, in a place where they can't afford to go to Bible college. Uh, Anglican Aid, uh, they have this program where they select appropriate candidates and send them to Bible schools that are teaching the Bible. And for the cost of a, you know, a cheap tinny, you can affect an entire generation by training up a gospel minister who can work for 20 to 30 years and sharing the gospel. So pray, give. Third, you can become a missionary. Missionaries are ordinary people like you and me with a great love for Jesus and who want to see others love Jesus as well. You don't have to be a, a super extraordinary Christian to be a missionary. And there's lots of opportunities to serve. 
lots of countries, you can only get into that country as a professional worker. And so you go as a professional worker and you look for opportunities to serve the church on the side. Uh, maybe you want to spend, you think, oh, okay, I, I'm serious about this. I'm going to take some time. I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to study for three years. And then I'm going to go and serve overseas and in a full-time ministry capacity somewhere. It'll cost you. But God's gospel is for the nations. Let's, let's revisit Adoniram Judson. He went to Burma knowing that he could die, knowing that his family, his, his new wife and his children could die. And they did actually die. He devoted his time to sharing the gospel in Burma away from his family, away from his connections, his network, back home, away from the comforts of home. Why? Well, he knew the motivations from Psalm 96, I think. He knew God's great salvation. He knew that God called all people everywhere to worship him. He knew that God is a faithful judge. And because he knew those things, he lived knowing this world is temporary, that his eternal home waited with Jesus. And so he sang the new song. See, declaring the praises of God can be costly. God never promised it would be easy. But it does, God does promise it will have a reward in eternity. So let us together sing this new song. Let us declare his praises. Let, his, let us share God's gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has purchased men for God. Let's share it with vigor, with zeal, for the glory of God, knowing the motivations that God gives us for doing so, God's great salvation, God's call to worship, and God's faithful judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are the great God, that splendor and majesty are always before you in your sanctuary. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would be at work in us by your Spirit, that we would know the depths of the salvation that we have, that we would know fully the love of Christ that you have shown us as he died on the cross. And we ask, Lord, that you would work in us by your Spirit, a spring that just wants to shout your praises to the people in Kananara and to the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.